watchers in the fourth dimension. Hello and welcome to the fourth annual holiday special of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. I'm Alan. And I'm Riley. And this year, we're going to be talking about something that we've had a lot of requests for us to do for our seasonal special, and that is the 1984 miniseries The Box of Delights, featuring the one and only Patrick Troughton. And, of course, as you've just heard, we are once again joined by our very good friend and unofficial fifth watcher, Alan Seiler, of the Doctor Who from A to Z podcast. Hello, everyone. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. How about yourself? Oh, just dandy. <laughs> so, some very quick behind-the-scenes information here before we dive into discussing this very, very interesting miniseries. This six-episode show is an adaptation of the book of the same title by John Maysfield, and it was adapted for television by someone called John Seymour. The book had already been adapted for radio on five separate occasions before the TV show, and producer Paul Stone had wanted to make a television adaptation since the 1970s. There had been some plans elsewhere to make a Hollywood movie version, which meant that the rights had to be renegotiated by the BBC with the Maysfield estate, and then Stone had to actually work with the BBC to get his production greenlit. This kind of turned out to be a blessing in disguise as it meant that technology had progressed significantly over the period of the 10-year delay, which enabled them to do much more with animation and CSO and all that good stuff. Director Rennie Ray was on staff at the BBC's children's department at the time, but he had had prior experience with the drama department, which gave him the ideal skill set to direct what would be the children's department's most ambitious production to date. Despite his experience, he had to significantly innovate to combine CSO, Paintbox, and Quantel technologies to realise the combination of live action, special effects, and animation. Post-production took around six months, which was very, very long for the time, and that was helped by the BBC establishing a new special effects studio at Television Centre in London. Music is provided by Roger Lim, who we haven't yet encountered on the podcast, but he will provide music for a number of Doctor Who serials during the 1980s, among many, many other things. Providing costumes, we see the contributions of Christine Rawlings, who we have, of course, seen before in Doctor Who. She worked on costumes during Season 7, and we'll see her again in Season 15. As co-designers, we have David Buckingham, whose work we'll see on Doctor Who in Season 21, and Bruce McAdee, whose work we will never see on Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> The finished production was broadcast mostly on Wednesday evenings between the 21st of November and the 19th of December 1984, but the final part went out on Monday, December the 24th, Christmas Eve. And so that is what brings it to being our 2023 holiday special. And so with that, let's dive into talking about this. And I'm going to start the conversation with what were you all expecting? Not that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I will say that something very, very different than what we got. I went in, no idea what I was getting into, but I have to say, after watching it all, I am so excited to talk about this with everyone. I've got my Anglican priest collar and shirt on. I have my officially licensed box of delights, Punch and Judy puppets, and I have a nice warm pot of posset right here in front of me. I am ready not just to go, but I'm ready to go swift. Let's go. Oh, wow. This is the immersive experience I'm picking up on. This is wonderful. 
So, you know, I've been a Doctor Who fan since 1983. The Five Doctors was my very first Doctor Who. So this came out in 84. So just about as long as I've ever been a Doctor Who fan, I have known about Box of Delights, and I know that it starred Patrick Troughton. What I didn't expect, having never seen it in these entire 40 years, what I did not expect is that he's not really in it that much. No. I really expected <laughs> at least 300% more Patrick Troughton than what we yes. actually got. <laughs> right. I also do not expect Patrick Troughton to be playing Albert Einstein either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so good in the parts that he was in. Yes. He's just magnetic. He's always good in everything. Is and remember we did the not so good The Scars of Dracula? He was excellent in that. He was and excellent. He was brilliant yeah. for his five minutes in the omen as well. Oh yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yes. So yeah, everything we've seen that he touches, he's fantastic. You gotta do Sinbad at some point. Because <laughs> he's wonderful in that. We'll think about how we can fit that in. All right. Not Christmas. <laughs> we'll do it for some summer special. There you go. <laughs> We've gotten fall. We have winter. We need a spring and a summer. Yeah, we do. Yeah. There you go. Bill told me Easter. Yes, it'll be fine. Easter special. I like it. Julie, if you can come <laughs> up with an appropriate subject matter for an Easter special, we will do it. <laughs> you know, just off of the opening credit sequence for this, it immediately knocked me back because the 80s were a special time. I'm a child of the 80s, and I can testify that there was some sort of edict that was passed down that said that a decent chunk of children's program needed to be as macabre, unsettling, and as terrifying as possible in order to mentally scar us as a generation. And just off of the title sequence for this, like everything about it is just unsettling. Like, yeah. you go into it, and then I guess it redeems itself at the end when you hear the first Noel, which I'm sure Julie will mention. I looked this up. I was kind of back and forth about the music, but it had some good moments. Apparently, they've like fully released the soundtrack to this thing. Oh, yes. It's available on Spotify. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've already added the opening and closing title sequence because they're slightly different arrangements and some of the incidental music to my Spotify Christmas playlist. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I love the intro and outro. Really enjoyed those. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Riley, there are some mm -hmm. interesting choices that are made from the <laughs> incidentals. But to be fair... This whole thing is weird as hell. So you know what? It's fine. Everything is fine. We have rat pirates. <laughs> <laughs> All bets are off. You know what else the title sequence made me think of? Christmas. Not really. I'm kidding. That's totally facetious. <laughs> yeah, There's nothing yeah. that says Christmas. Seriously, it was like the Twilight Zone opening, just random objects floating by. Well, the thing, too, is that the reason why they chose that music in particular is because the music itself is unsettling. The whole mm -hmm. point that they chose for it, I was reading, is that when the song first plays, you actually don't realize that it's a Christmas song until it gets further along into the song. And you actually hear that it's the first Noel. And they were like, that is going to be perfect for this weird ass show. <laughs> and this won't make any sense to you, Riley, or you, Julie, but Alan will get where I'm coming from. The title sequence, all the eyes that kind of got isolated. So you had the image and then it faded out to just the eyes. Mm -hmm. I was heavily picking up on the beginning of the TV movie. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I think the TV movie and Jeffrey Sachs and co must have really taken some influence from that opening sequence. Yeah. And since we're talking about the music, I want to say that this is 1984, and I went into this, I didn't read up anything at all 
I didn't know anything other than it's called Box of Delights and Patrick Troughton is in it. I didn't know any guest cast. I didn't know any behind the scenes personnel, nothing. So I'm watching the first episode and I'm listening to the music and I'm thinking, this sounds very familiar. And of course, it's the 80s. So it sounds very much like the Radiophonic Workshop. And then some of the music in it, I thought, I know who this is. This is Roger Lim because 1984 is also when Caves of Androzani happens. And there were moments where he had to have done it at the same time. Like he was using exactly the same equipment. There were certain like chord phrasings that he's using that are precisely Androzani. And I thought this has got to be Roger Lim. 100%. And again, with Revelation of the Daleks. Yes. Yeah, you yes. really hear that crossover in his style. So I guess, Riley and Julie, you've got that to look forward to. Or do you? <laughs> or maybe not. Oh. So much. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the plot of this, because Riley, you've already touched on the macabre <laughs> here. Mm. And I mean, this is some weird shit. Yes. Yeah. And I say that in the best possible way because I'm going to get into it later on some of that. But there's some very esoteric stuff here. It's uncomfortable. The beginning of it is incredibly uncomfortable because I'm watching this. We have Troughton's character. We have the two characters that are posing as clergymen on the train, all of them acting very odd and creepy to this boy. I'm like, is everyone in this series a child predator? What the hell is going on? <laughs> and especially the clergyman. Yes. yes. When I was first watching it, it felt really, really icky. I was very uncomfortable with the clergyman the entire time. And even getting further along and like just finding out that they're evil and whatnot, I'm, I'm still uncomfortable with how they're treating these children. Like I said, growing up in the 80s, I felt like I was watching an informational video of like, don't talk to strangers. If they act weird like this, get away from them. <laughs> That's everything I was getting at the very beginning to talk about getting into the plot. But then we get our development with Troughton and the discussion. He's a Punch and Judy man. And it develops on and then you can already get the sense that the show is really intent on wanting to play the game of who is everybody. And that put me a little on edge. And you don't really find out. They're all weird ass people. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. don't really get a good idea of what actually is going on. You mean like when they reveal who they are, which is great because you know who Troughton is. They define who he is. I still am unclear <laughs> as to these band of jewel robbers <laughs> that can turn into wolves or foxes or whatever. I still don't know what the hell they are. But I have to say, I'm just so glad that Troughton ended up being that Italian, I believe, or Spanish mystic or mm, yeah. alchemist, because I really had this horrible feeling when I saw them setting that up. And I said, oh, God, I'm going to get to the end of episode six. This day will be saved. <laughs> Troughton will walk away into the sunset and then someone's going to walk up to that kid and say, you know, yeah, he's gone. You know who that person's name was? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I thought that's where they were going to go with This it. is not Rick and Morty. <laughs> that's 100% the thing they would do on Rick and Morty just to take the piss and this is not Rick and Morty. But I'm going to get into my little thing here and just go a bit weird on you guys. So Ramon Lull, or Lully in the show, was an actual Spanish philosopher and theologian and alchemist. So he existed in reality in the 13th and 14th centuries. He actually lived to be about 80. He was beatified by the Catholic Church, but he was oh, a wow. legit alchemist. I mean, his alchemic works are actually quite well respected. 
and well referred to. So he talked a lot about his old magic and how it couldn't keep up with the new magic that came from Abner and co. So the way I read this was the book came out in the 30s when you had a lot of the new esoteric movement. So you had folks like Crowley, Alistair Crowley, making a big noise with his Ordo Templi Orientis or OTO. And I kind of read this as Troughton's character, who we find out is Ramon Lully, to effectively be the old or good magic, and then Abner to be representative of Crowley and the OTO and the new magic that he was bringing in with the Lima. And looking at it through that lens in terms of where the book came from was fascinating. Mm -hmm. I was 100% with it. I was tracking it and going, ooh, I like this. And you kind of then tie that into Lully and kind of the Rosicrucian idea of helping others versus the OTO, which was very, very egotistical, and Crowley, who was very, very egotistical. And you look at Abner and how he's only in it for himself and personal gain. And those parallels to me just were screaming out. I really enjoyed that. You and your alchemy, Anthony. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see how that all ties into Christmas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I want to talk about some other things. So I am interested in the fact that the mom just up and leaves. <laughs> it, well, her <laughs> brother was sick, right? Was that her? That's yes. how they got her out of that, that out of the manor. I don't think she's even the mom. I think she's the nanny. Oh, right. Because yeah. he calls her Caroline Louisa. She was the governess or something. And so they leave them with the maid. It, right. But he's in charge. And so the maid is asking him yes. if she can yes. say something. I Who are the adults? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I've got more to say about that later on. Yeah, that is fascinating. And also when I was watching this, I just assumed this was Anthony's upbringing. But I was witnessing just like this. <laughs> Mine was a bit more metropolitan than this, but my oh, okay. parents were fairly absent. Mm. <laughs> Explains a lot. <laughs> this is another situation similar to the Phantom of the Paradise where I can't decide if I like this or hate it. Oh, just enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> the reason being is because Again, I can't get a really good grasp on exactly what they're fighting about and what the end goal is supposed to be. And I would agree <laughs> with that, Julie. So I was tracking it when Abner was trying to get the box and he was trying to get the elixir of life, which is in itself the philosopher's mm -hmm. stone. So we're back to alchemy. But I never quite tracked why he was trying to stop the Christmas ceremony. That seemed to be mm. a pivot in almost the last episode where he was like, mm -hmm. OK, I want this, this and this. Oh, and just to be a dick. <laughs> Yes. We're going to stop this Christmas service in Tatchester. Just bring misery to the people who enjoy it. I, it didn't really seem to tie. And maybe I missed something. Well, it's just to show that he's such a really bad guy. <laughs> yeah. And then it raises another question, though. It's like he calls into his power some cartoon demons. It's like, well, then yeah. who the f who the <laughs> fuck is he? Right. Seriously. He's it's Alistair driving me Crowley. crazy. He's Alistair Crowley and he's summoning like homunculi or some shit like that. Right, but we don't know like any of his background. At the beginning, it's just like he just seems like a huckster or like a Belloc kind of character from Indiana Jones who is aware of antiquities and, and artifacts and wants to grab this particular one. Then all of a sudden he's like raising demons. Like what is... And, and oh, I'm, I, I'm yeah. telling you, Alistair Crowley. <laughs> but it was right? like, I don't just... know who that is, Anthony. 
Oh, he wrote the Satanic Bible. No, that's Anton. No, LaVey. no, no, he didn't. Yeah, it's Anton. Oh well, LaVey. who? What now? Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of Anton Lavey. Oh yes, yes, of course. Alistair Crowley was often referred to as the most evil man ever to have lived, but that's really just some exaggeration. But he was a huckster. He did a lot of reform of kind of traditionally Rosicrucian movements and then brought in a bunch of sex magic, which really was just his excuse oh. to fuck whoever he wanted. <laughs> I mean, okay. don't, don't need an excuse. He's that guy. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. I understand now. Yeah. And yet there are still people who revere him and his work, and it's all just bullshit, in my opinion. And I'm going to annoy some people in saying that. Are you telling me that we've just lost listeners for our hard take against Aleister Crowley? <laughs> I think we've lost Beardo Beatnik, potentially. <laughs> okay, we've lost one. Yeah, the one with the best name. Yeah. And where he leads, others will follow. Mm -hmm. oh, God. With using the magic, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and let's get back on track. There were obviously with some of this alchemy thing and knowing who Alistair Crowley is, I think there's also a few things lost not being British. The punch and Judy. Judy, yep. uh -huh. yeah. That's something where in hindsight, it makes a lot more things make sense <laughs> that I've seen along the way, but it's not something that I actually knew of. That's very interesting. Really? Because yeah. I knew Punch and Judy when I was growing up. Same here. I think that might be a generational thing. Might be it generational. Might be. Yeah. Okay. And then the other being this hunter dude. Oh. Who turns <laughs> out to be an actual, like, historic, well, I say historic, a fictional historic character from, I think they say it might have originated in Shakespeare's time. That was the first reference to him anyway. And I'm like, that never came across my readings and watchings of anything. So another thing that I was not aware of, and he just all of a sudden shows up and he's like, look at me, I'm this hunter dude in this weird abstract thing. And he's like, CSO'd for no real reason. And then at the end, he's driving a sleigh with lions. <laughs> and don't forget those sleigh with unicorns because we yes. have to, you know, do the lion and the unicorn. We have to make that imagery put together. And Julie, I'm going to validate that by saying I had to look him up. Okay. <laughs> and one, I'm English, but two, he's apparently associated with the county of Berkshire, where I lived for three years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'd still never heard of him. And maybe I missed something. He needs better PR. Yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> apparently so. But yeah, apparently he has all sorts of historical roots in Paleolithic origins in the Celtic community. And then he was revered as an Anglo-Saxon deity. But I apparently missed all of this. Okay, so that brings up another question then. So we have Hearn the Hunter, which I thought was just a creation for either the mm -hmm. book or for the show. And then we have Abner Brown, who summons demons and has a talking bronze head for some reason. Nobody knows <laughs> oh, why. Right. But then he also summons up this character called the Waterfall oh, Boy. And I'm wondering God. if that's something that has roots other places than just this story. Also, is that something from mythology or folklore or something? Not that I know of. I mean, okay. I was just thinking he's summoning old Greg. Who the hell's old Greg? Oh, Thank you. Oh, you guys, you missed out. He's the father of young Greg. The mighty boosh. <laughs> oh. old Greg, you ever drunk Baileys from a shoe? Oh, God, I what? haven't watched that show in a long uh, time. Sorry, what show? The Mighty, the Mighty Boosh. No, I've sorry. never seen it. Well, going back to the boy under the waterfall, which was also creepy as hell. Why does he look like Buster Poindexter? 
That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He does, though. It's crazy. I mean, I know, Julie, you're upset that we are bouncing all around on this one, but so does that damn show. It bounces all over the place. You're not wrong. How can we keep ourselves straight? This is a freeform discussion. We're not tied to going episode by episode on this. We're just going to chat about this. Okay, good. And see, that's one thing I wanted to bring up is that when I was watching this, I thought that, oh, wow, this feels like, oh, here's an example the television show community did a joke where they put on a trailer of a knockoff of Gremlins, but a Portuguese <laughs> knockoff of Gremlins, right? Yes. This box of delights felt like I was watching another country's, which was strange because it's the same damn country, knockoff of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> yes. But then when I looked at the time frame... Box of Delights was written in 1930, so-and-so. Language in the Wardrobe was written in 1950. So then, <laughs> who is the imposter here, is what I want to know. Looking at you, C.S. Lewis. Exactly. Right. But how much of what we saw on television comes directly from the novel, or were there embellishments made that weren't part of the novel? And then what was left out from what was in the novel? I'm terrified about what was left out. I want to read it now. I have to know. I am going to read this. I'm not going to lie. I have to. <laughs> so I've read a couple of different early, I say early, but, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, that era of books. And another series that was out around that era, I believe, was the Dark is Rising series. And this felt even closer to that than The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, just a little bit. So I think there was also just kind of in pre-50s or pre-60s era that had a similar type of feel to it. So I was getting a lot of that as well. One thing I would also like to talk about is how all these people are not surprised by any of these things that are happening. <laughs> so all these other children, are, he shrinks them and they're just like, oh, cool. <laughs> What's wrong with all of you? <laughs> but let's talk about these people, though, because the thing that really got me in this one, and I think it was episode three, I don't even remember. Uh, what's her name? Mariah, whose name is spelled Maria, but they call her Mariah, gets kidnapped or whatever. They, she gets convinced to go off with the bad people and does not come home. So they all are considering, like, where could she be? But they all go home at night and they say, well, did Mariah ever show up? And the maid asked permission to speak. And then she says, <laughs> no, she never did. And he said, well, OK, I guess she can take care of herself. So we'll just call the police in the morning if she doesn't come home. She's <laughs> eight years old. How are you not concerned? But she's I mean, armed. She's heavily well, armed. I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> That was the most bizarre thing. I loved Mariah, just letting you know. What I thought was bonkers about it was it was so often like implying that maybe she was going to be turned evil. Yeah. And then it's just like, nope, nope. I told them I wasn't going to tell anything. I'm fine. It's all good. And yeah. nothing happens from that. What was the right. point of all that? Right. But then <laughs> the other thing is, at the same time, the governess or whoever she is was supposed to be coming back to the manor by train, but she never showed up. So they're like, they have two missing people here. The next morning, they get a telegraph and they find out, you know, bad weather. The train had to stop. They had to go back. She's going to try again tomorrow or whatever. And they say, oh, good. Well, at least that's solved. Now we don't have to call the police. You still have a missing eight-year-old. What is wrong with you people? She never came home the entire night. What is wrong with you? 
<laughs> oh my God. I was so concerned for, I mean, I knew Mariah could take care of herself just like they knew, but still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor thing. And then she finally comes back and she says, Mariah, you're here. Yes, I am. And I am very annoyed. Well, you should be because <laughs> nobody gave a shit that you were missing all night for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Before we get too far on, I did want to say, Riley, your mention of community I thought about that show in a different way. And that What's was that? entirely as they were rushing in the end to get the cathedral open and to host the service. Mm -hmm. All I was thinking was, we got to save Christmas to save ourselves. We got to save Christmas oh. to save ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, that they should have put that on the soundtrack. I feel like we also need to talk about some of the other like characters. Like, we touched on some of them, but can we talk about Rat, Rat for a little bit and how the hell Mike Myers was able to go back in time to play <laughs> this character? Well, I was so weirded out by these rats because there's more than one of them, right? And yeah. the fact that it's played by a human, but then always shown as being like small, like a real rat when it's next to everyone. And then lo and behold, there's a whole pirate rat army just hiding and i'm like what is i don't i don't i don't understand and the thing that was most disturbing to me about it was i was fine with all that but then when the scene where he asked for like a sniff of rum and then he ends up like eating the glass what <laughs> but he felt like he couldn't like help himself like oh sorry i just gotta eat this glass <laughs> what is going on in this show Imagine you are watching this show, it gets to the end of the episode, your partner walks down the stairs, looks over as the credits are rolling and looks at you and says, did that say pirate rats? <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. I will not be taking any questions. <laughs> because you couldn't answer them anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was kind of sad that we didn't get a full on brawl. They're just like, oh, we're just going to fly away. No, Julie, we don't fly away. We go swift. We go swift. We go swift. Right. We go swift. Somebody else held the copyright on flying, so they couldn't say that. Peter yeah. Pan. <laughs> and that's the thing. Can we talk about the actual object here, the box of delights? Because I still find it is the most random ass powers that come out <laughs> yes. of this box. So your options are get small if you switch it to the left, I think. Yes. Go swift to go to the right. And then you open it, and then apparently you get to see animation. That's the power of the box. And there's something about time travel, but you might get lost in it like that one guy right. did. Yes. You mean the person who actually owned the box because Patrick Chatham's character stole it from him, if you remember. Yeah, but I thought yeah. that was going to go somewhere. No. Oh, I thought so too. I thought that either they were going to go get the guy who got lost, or somehow Kay was going to get lost or one of the other kids was going to get lost and someone would have to go rescue them, you know? But no, it just got mentioned the original owner got lost in time and that's that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then while we're on that, that scene where he goes back in time and I'm assuming those are Romans, I'm guessing, Spartans? I, I think I they were know. Spartans. Spartans, okay. What is their obsession about shadows? Has there ever been a damn cloudy day they want to murder anybody when it's a cloudy day why are they so obsessed with everyone having a shadow and oh my god that's where the cso let it down because Kay did have a shadow in all of those oh, yeah. scenes but when they first separated him he's lying on the bed and her and the hunter pulls out his spirit self or whatever and it steps away from the bed shadow 
And you're like, you just said he wouldn't have a shadow. So, yeah. you know, that's just the limitations of the production at the time, but still. But I do want to shout out those soldiers. One of them was the recently deceased Julian Sands. Yeah. Oh, sure really? Sure was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't see, I didn't notice him there. In one of his very, very early roles. I also have the question of why are we just seeing this kid enter in these battles and the soldiers just like, okay, cool kid, join us in this battle. <laughs> you mean the battle of how these villages ended up getting attacked by wolf yeah. packs? That's happened so much in history. Wolf packs just openly just attacking giant human settlements. <laughs> and also that's another thing that drove me to just die in laughter. I understand that in the first episode, they're trying to set up mystery. They're trying to set up intrigue. It gets to a point, though, where when he's sending messages to like the old woman and then back to Patrick Talton's character, at a point I was like, is this just a prank by homeless people to this rich kid to just <laughs> transfer like the most completely insane statements back and forth? That would have been amazing. I would have been. That would have been hilarious. That would have been really great. But I still ask you after watching all of this. What does it mean that the wolves are running? Like, I, there's so many statements that they say, like there's some sort of meaning behind it or mysticism. But they never explain what those things are, which is making me feel like this is basically the Twin Peaks holiday special. Yes. You have to open your third eye, Riley. I apparently do. You know, it kind of comes across like it's assumed that the viewing audience, everyone would have read the book and knows what all this stuff uh... means. Like it's so pervasive in society that everyone knows Box of Delight. So we don't have to explain stuff. I know, Alan, I think you're making an assumption there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm making a big assumption and I don't think it's accurate. I'm just saying that's what it comes across as. I don't think that that was intended. I think that... <laughs> they just didn't explain shit. <laughs> also, there are a few characters that, again, didn't really contribute much of anything. There was the one lady who seemed bad for yes. most of it. Oh, Patricia Quinn. Patricia Quinn. Oh, yeah. Until the oh, very fabulous. end. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, yeah, I'm not that bad. What? <laughs> right. What? Her role was just to be glorious. <laughs> yes. And she does it well. I remember seeing her at Dragon Con. Uh, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago, doing a commentary with Sylvester McCoy. You were there? Oh I my God, there. that was amazing. She was so over the top. I got the yes. feeling she'd had a lot of gin. <laughs> she was amazing. She's in a Sylvester McCoy story and they did a commentary on it together. And oh my God, just the funniest thing. Incidentally, 11 years after this, she would go on to marry Sir Robert Stevens, who is, of course, Abner Brown. Abner! And he was amazing in this. Like you talk about somebody committed to a role and throwing a hundred percent of themselves into it. He was riveting. You just couldn't pull your eyes away from him. He was over the top. Like so far, you couldn't even see the top anymore. I would argue, Alan, that you were saying earlier that it stars Patrick Troughton, but he's right. pretty much not even in episodes three, four, and five, I don't think at all. And barely in two, yeah. Right. So at that point, who's holding this thing down? Yeah. It's Robert Stevens. There you go. Exactly. Oh, he was glorious. And I have to say, through so much of it, I was thinking, he is a fucking terrible boss. Why are <laughs> any of these people going along with him? And what I loved about this was unlike all the terrible bosses we've seen in Doctor Who and repeatedly complained about, his peons 
turn against him at the end and are like, well, we're going to steal his jewels and just fuck off. Right. <laughs> it's magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Although I just found out that this guy was married to Maggie Smith. Oh, really? He had four wives. Oh. Yeah. Maggie being the third, I think. Wow. Yeah. You know, even Maggie Smith can make a mistake once in a while. <laughs> he was considered to be the heir to Olivier. Oh, really? Yeah. So to get him in something like this was quite the coup. I mean, he was proper Shakespearean actor. Oh, you can tell. Very, very well respected. <laughs> and he shows up as the villain in a kid's TV show. It's amazing. It's amazing when you see what Shakespearean actors can do to elevate things the only reason why any of the prequel star wars films were any good was all the people who knew shakespeare <laughs> and could do something with the dialogue oof yeah no he was phenomenal in all of this and i love when he just goes unhinged in that last episode and like that poor bronze <laughs> head gold head whatever it is <laughs> what was going on what why was it there he has so many things that would prophesy and tell him the future, but he still could never mm. quite get his hands on whatever it was he was trying to do. And then the other thing, though, I couldn't quite figure out is that are we assuming that he drowned? Because I can't really figure out his ending. Like, it's slow motion and ridiculous looking, but I can't figure it out. Like, I don't understand why that would kill him. So the impression I got, and there was a lot of headcanoning going on here, but somehow everything was contingent on him getting this done before Christmas and effectively before the church service attaches to the cathedral, which was why he was trying to sabotage it. That's my headcanon and the only way I can make sense of this. So in the church service happening and then bringing Christmas, it basically drains his power. And while he's still around, he's basically useless. Yeah, there seemed to be some significance to this being the thousandth anniversary of whatever this church service thing is that seemed yeah. to tie into whatever it was that Abner was trying to do. And this is where we again kind of get into the occult and you look at Christmas with its origins as kind of being a pagan ceremony that breaks the deepest parts of midwinter and what have you. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Julie. <laughs> I would like to bring up another character that I found fascinating. And that is the police officer. Oh, my gosh. Bell end. Is he the inspiration for Chief Wiggum? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Could well be. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I am fascinated by a warm posset. I have done research into possets. I find it absolutely fascinating and weird and disgusting. And apparently they would have posset pots specifically for that. And it's just utterly bizarre. And have you made one for yourself yet? Not the pot, but the actual posset. I will never. Wait, wait, we're going to actively curdle. <laughs> Riley, I'm with you. Agreed. It's just like, would you like some sugary milk, slightly scrambled egg water right? <laughs> before you go to bed? You guys went to college over here. You never had an Irish car bomb? No. Yes, I have had one. I know what you're talking about, but it doesn't have like slightly cooked egg in it. No, but it has curdled milk if you don't drink it quickly enough. It's cream. It's Bailey's cream. The curdles in the Guinness. <laughs> I opt to not do the drink. I make Irish car bomb cupcakes. So uh. 
a chocolate Guinness <laughs> cake with an Irish whiskey ganache with a Bailey's icing on top. That is amazing. It is tasty, I bet. Anyway, back to the box of delights. <laughs> yes. In case you're wondering, I don't usually do a quote during our introductions, but if there was a quote that I was going to use for this, I had two options. The first one was splendiferous. Yes. And then the second one was, I've been set free. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I understand that. I also really liked the Hern the Hunter. Keep your lions away from my unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> can we still get an answer who is that old woman yeah, that's, did thank she you. ever get thank you i who was gonna bring she? that up no she was just there i looked at the credits it just says old lady yeah i'm pretty sure <laughs> anthony do we have a english or esoteric <laughs> alchemist answer as to who this old lady is nope oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i say that sounding quite befuddled nope <laughs> i want to bring up the animation because the animated sequences I really loved and I thought were really beautiful. And that's more of what I expected this show to be about. I thought that this was just an old man who had a box that was, uh. you know, full of delights. And he showed it, you know, he showed his box of delights to a little boy. <laughs> Please don't. And, Please don't. And magic. But I really thought that they were going to be like going off on adventures into different realms or whatever. So I had no idea that it was going to be about very mundane things with very bizarre stuff going on around them. But the animation sequences, I really enjoyed a lot. And I would love to have seen more of that. I know it was really expensive to do at the time. They were using a very rudimentary program called Paintbox, which was produced by the company Quantel, which you'll see a lot of in later 80s Doctor Who, because Doctor Who was one of the first productions to make any use of it. And they really did some nice stuff with it toward the end of the show. But this one was like extensive scenes painted basically with this program. And I thought it was really, really neat. Incidentally, the paint box tech was what was originally used to recolorize, I want to say, Doctor and Silurians <laughs> and the demons and maybe Terror of the Autons in the 90s. So that technology actually has quite a lot of application in Doctor Who just beyond... Beyond the television show, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where a lot of the love comes from, I'm hoping. It's interesting. I go <laughs> looking on IMDb and it has an 8.3 stars out of 10. Wow. Which I am surprised about, but all right. <laughs> and the fact that it won three BAFTAs. That is, well, what was this competition? I mean, they have to give out one of those every year, right? <laughs> and in what category? <laughs> Best children's program. <laughs> interesting. Best video lighting. And best graphics. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. wait, no, sorry. The nominee was best graphics. It won best VTR editor. Interesting. Okay. Yes. <laughs> children's program, I can understand. It literally was, this is the most expensive children's program to be made up to that point. Okay, mm -hmm. I understand. What's really interesting to me is you kind of get a lot of the tone carried over into later British kids TV. So I think of something like Nightmare which none of you have probably seen. Never have, no. I get a lot of the same tone in this as you do in Nightmare in terms of the way it's acted, the way it's on videotape, the music cues, the animation. It's a different concept, but you can kind of see the lineage between them. And I think this was very, very avant-garde and ahead of its time and really set the stage for kids' TV for the next 10, 15 years. I just wish there was more plot. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's Julie always wanting the impossible. The special effects was something I wanted to touch on, and I think we've done that. I do want to say, I think the CSO looks far better than Barry Letts was ever able to do. <laughs> Agreed. Well, this was a few years after Barry was doing it. Too, That's but, true. Yeah. So I guess Barry stumbled so that these guys could fly. <laughs> go swift, you mean. <laughs> so he could go swift, yes, yes. So I think this more or less takes us to the end of the discussion about this. Oh, no, one more. There's one more thing. Okay. It's all a dream. Oh, oh that's yes. right. Thank you for bringing that up. Oh, my God, that drove me nuts. Yeah. Drove that. me bananas. I wish it showed the clergyman being there, but with no real hint that it was anything else. The fact that we didn't get Troughton again one last time to give him a wink as if maybe it did actually happen that i would have preferred that kind of ending to just oh no i just had a dream yeah i just fell asleep on the train sorry <sighs> what a wild dream to have and long and elaborate also sorry sidetrack did you know that the human brain is incapable of making up faces for dreams everyone you dream about is someone you have seen in real life Interesting. so that ah. means this kid at some point had seen Patrick Troughton, Robert Stevens, this little rat guy who drinks rum, like all of these <laughs> characters he had seen in real life sometime. And the bronze head. Interesting. Uh, and it's just adorable that this entire story is basically like that of the scam of someone at an airport saying, hey, can you hold this for me? And can you just take this with you on your flight <laughs> right. for a while while I disappear for a couple episodes? Can you take the heat off me? <laughs> it's not drugs, I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do want to say really quickly, I don't know how old he was at the time of this production, but I thought Devin Stanfield, who played Kay Harker, was quite good. I mean, that yeah, was a was. lot of stuff to do for a kid that young to lead a series, basically. And I thought he was really good. He was better than yeah. some of the adults. Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes. All right. The immediate question for Riley and Julie. I'm going to give you an either or. <laughs> Which are you more likely to watch again for Christmas? This <laughs> or Lost at Christmas? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Great question. Great question. I know my answer. Well, Anthony, I think I'll bring it down like this. If I took a whole bottle of Robitussin, I'd watch this. <laughs> if I was wanting to feel utterly depressed, I'd watch Lost at Christmas. Julie, mm. <laughs> I mean, I know this one doesn't have Fraser Hines, but... <laughs> I... Oh, dear. Um... <laughs> I honestly would probably watch Lost at Christmas. And the main reason is the fact that this ends as if none of it matters. Oh, good point. Very good point. The ending at Lost at Christmas is 10 times better. It's an open-ended <laughs> ending, the one for Lost at Christmas. They go their separate ways, but they could potentially get back together. That kind of deal. Here, it's just, sorry, y'all, it was a lie. Thank you. <laughs> or was it? I got the feeling it was one of those, it was all a lie. Or was it? No, endings? because was there was it? no wink at the end. There was no right. recognition from one person. So no, that's not how it ended for me. Yeah, the production didn't give you any reason to suspect that it wasn't anything other than a dream. He wakes up and he goes about his business and the credits roll. But the two priests are there and one doffs his cap. True. Okay, that may be a wink. I don't 
don't know, because they didn't seem sinister at that point. They just seemed like regular clergymen. But if you think about right. the timing of it, he yeah. had to have encountered <sighs> Troughton because that was before the dream at that interim Yeah, start. if they had re-shown Troughton and Troughton gave a wink, then yes, I would say that it was open-ended. That's not what happened, Anthony. Okay, Julie. <laughs> so, the ultimate question, would you watch this again? <laughs> yes or no? I'm going to read the book. Yeah, I will read the book, definitely. I don't know that I'd watch this again, but I will read the book. I feel like this is kind of like also asking for our overall rating of it. I'm not going to ask you to rate it. Okay. No, you don't All have right. to give it a score, but you can give an overview. I'll say this. When I watched it, and I had heard of it having such a good reputation and well-loved and won those awards, I felt like that clip of Homer Simpson watching Twin Peaks and going, hmm, brilliant. I have no idea what's going on. Yes. <laughs> and exactly. that's coming from the Twin Peaks fan on the show. Exactly. I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. Yeah. I uh, no, you know, honestly, like, it's worth the ride once. I don't think it needs repeated viewings. Yeah, I'm glad to have finally seen it. And I'm satisfied with my one viewing. And yeah. I now know what happens in it. I know what to have expected from it. And I know that Patrick Troughton wasn't in it a lot. And I think it's good. And I don't think there's any reason to rewatch. I can see this forming part of my Christmas viewing every year, in all honesty. And maybe mm. it's because I'm the kind of mystic of the show and that I enjoy all that esoteric nonsense. And this is a ton of esoterica wrapped in a kid's show, which makes me absolutely love it. There are elements that I feel like I need to watch again to figure out, but I really enjoyed it. In that case, may I suggest a few drops of LSD in your posset pot before you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. I think I'll pass on the LSD. And probably the posset pot too. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Alan, how about you? You already said you probably wouldn't watch it again, but overall, I know you were excited to see more Troughton. Oh yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is. It didn't make a lick of sense, but I still <laughs> enjoyed the experience of watching it. I don't regret watching it. And if someone were to say, should I watch this? Well, first off, I'd have to know the person. I wouldn't recommend it to some of my friends because they'd be like, what the hell did he just make me watch? But people who like a certain type of show or if they're interested in Troughton and things like that or British television in general, definitely something to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Julia just basically nailed it there. It was a great ride. I'm very happy that I watched it. And in regards to what I recommend it, I would basically start off that conversation with, Hey, you want to see some weird shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I dig that. I'm shamelessly going to try to be the new favorite by saying I loved it. <laughs> oh. Good. I see. I see what you're trying to mm -hmm. do here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Alan, thank you for joining us. Where can everyone find you? You could go to my website, which is cosmiccreative.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com, and you can see some of the books that I've written and the other podcasts that I do, which include Doctor Who A to Z. Perfect. And of course, you can find the rest of us on this very podcast. And if my timing is right, because we're recording these out of sequence, we will be back next week with our episode talking about the talons of Wang Chiang. Ooh. which I think is going to be interesting. Ooh. But in the meantime, as always, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And of course, 
Have a good one and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>